Well, today we're starting a, a series of messages in the Gospel of Luke, and I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, but would you turn to the book of Acts? How's that? Acts is about three-fourths of the way back in the Bible. It's actually two books past Luke. And we're going to turn to Luke in just a little bit, but I want to start in Acts, and I'll, I think it'll make sense a little bit later if you trust me. But as you're turning to Acts chapter 4, by the way, if you don't have a Bible and you're uh, not sitting uh, in some of the more unconventional places of the room, there should be right in front of you a black Bible, and if you turn to page 760, it'll turn you right to Acts 4. And we're going to look at especially verse 13 before we go to the first four verses of Luke. The message today is called, Be Like Jesus. Be Like Jesus. And if you're following along the notes, let me just put this on the table right away. God's goal for our lives, and I forget this a lot, but God's goal for our lives is to make us like Jesus, if you're following along. God's goal for our lives, you wonder why you're here? You wonder what the real goal in life is? The goal is for God to make us like Jesus. Romans 8, 29 says this. It says, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among, among many brothers and sisters. God's whole purpose, what he's been looking at from the long view for a long time, the reason why he started his good work in our lives is because he wants to carry it on to completion, and he wants to make us like Jesus, not just in a fake way, not just in a pretend way, but all the way on the inside so that more and more our character, our hearts take on more and more the likeness of Jesus. The people actually begin to see a resemblance of Jesus in our lives, even in our unrehearsed moments. And this is where he's going. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I think the goal in life is to be a successful American. Sometimes I think the goal in life is to acquire everything or to, you know, build bigger piles and all those kind of things. And those things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. They're just not the goal. So if that's the goal, the reason why we need this message is because we all forget that's the goal. And when we do, we get going in the wrong direction and we get farther away from the goal. So here's what I want you to see this morning. This is where the title of Be Like Jesus comes, Be With Jesus, excuse me, is this, if you're following along. To be like Jesus, we have to be with Jesus. Amen? To be like Jesus, we have to be with Jesus, but how? That's the way I want to start today. To be like Jesus, we have to be with Jesus, but how? That's the question I want to talk with you about today. And I want you to see that what we mean, what do I mean by be with Jesus? Like, what is that? Like, how do we do that? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I say that, probably some of you are thinking, uh, excuse me, Jeff, I, I, I know that it sounds really good, it sounds really spiritual, but truth is, is he lived 2,000 years ago. Uh, also, he's not here anymore, and I can't be a monk. So how do I do that? And I want to talk to you about that. What does it mean to be with Jesus? Then I want to talk to you about what does that have to do with Luke? Then I want to give you two pictures and give you a challenge, okay? What does it mean to be with Jesus? What does that have to do with Luke? Two pictures, challenge. You ready? Let me pray. Now, God, we ask that as we look at these texts and as we start this series called The Life of Jesus, that you would 
teach us how to be with Jesus in order that your goal, your intention for us could be realized. Thank you that you began a good work in so many of us and you want to carry it on to completion. And I pray for any that are here that you have yet to begin that good work. I pray that you might do that today or very soon. In your name we ask, amen. Okay, so let's uh, look at Acts 4, 13. Would you mind reading it with me out loud? And before I ask you to read it with me, let me just do this. Here's the context. In chapter 3, Peter and John, Jesus has already ascended into heaven. He rose again, ascended into heaven, and now his disciples, Peter and John, fishermen, are now walking in their everyday lives, and they encounter a guy that's been crippled since birth, and he's 40 years old. And he asks him for money, and he says, look, I don't, we don't have that kind of thing to give you, but what we do have, we'll give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he does. Creates an incredible miracle. Crowd gathers like you can only imagine. And as the crowd gathers, Peter and John begin to preach that this Jesus, who you thought was crucified and dead, has risen from the dead. He's alive, and his power is still doing things in this world, including healing this man. Therefore, repent so that times of refreshing may come to you, because he wants you to be included too, but you need to humble yourselves and receive what he's offered you. They begin to preach that way, and the religious leaders are also drawn to this crowd, because anytime they see a crowd, it makes them nervous, and so they arrest, they seize Peter and John, they arrest them, and they put them in jail, and they say, we're going to talk with you tomorrow, and they're not happy. The next day in chapter 4, they bring him before and they say, by what power or name do you do these things? And Peter says, look, if you're asking by whose authority this man has been healed, you need to know this, this Jesus, whom you crucified but God raised from the dead, healed this guy, not us. He did. And you need to know that he is the stone that you rejected, but he's become the, the, the cornerstone. Therefore, it says in verse 12, this is a powerful, powerful verse. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter, you are so out of touch. You're not PC, man. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, That sets the context. So you need to know that Peter and John are saying these words in front of people that do not like them, did not like Jesus. Now let's read Acts 4.13 in that first gray box. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You may want to circle that word with They had been with Jesus. And these people were able to tell. They didn't just go, oh, they were his followers. There's something about their astonishment. There's something about the fact that they took note. They didn't just go, yes, yes, they've been with Jesus. No, there's something about the way they're talking and acting and living that reminds us of Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Jesus had rubbed off on them and people could tell. So today, I want to talk to you. When we talk about how to be with Jesus, even though we live 2,000 years later, the question is, how can we be with Jesus today? Is it even possible? And I want to talk to you about uh, the word that's really probably helped me more in my Christian life than almost any other word. And I've listed it there in the notes. It's called the wonder of with. 
Years ago, I thought the Christian life was about what I do for God, what I do for Jesus. And again, that's, that, I'll tell you, that treadmill is exhausting. When you begin to understand that the Christian life is more about with being with Jesus than about doing things for Jesus, it changes everything. That means not only being with Jesus in your everyday moments of life, not just church time, but it also means learning how to do it in a spirit of dependence and trust and partnership. And so this wonder of with is what stood out to these guys in that group, okay? But if you're following along, here's what I want you to see. Peter and John had spent three years with Jesus during his time on earth. They had spent three years with Jesus during his time on earth. Now, when I say spent time with him, I don't just mean they checked in with him once in a while. They ate with him. They walked with him. They slept in the same place that he slept. They did life together for three straight years, nonstop. I don't know what you're like, but when I'm not here in the church building, I have some unimpressive moments. Anybody else? See, that means they got a chance to be with Jesus in all of his unrehearsed moments, and he got a chance to be with them in their unrehearsed moments. They got a chance to be in this learning school that was unbelievable. But here's what I want you to see. That didn't make them more courageous. Many of us believe that if we could just be with Jesus like they were, we would believe and be incredible Christians. Not so. In fact, there was one person that spent three, three years with Jesus, and he was unfazed. Anybody know his name? Judas. Judas, it never took at all. And I'll talk to you a little bit later in the service why that is. But friends, it's possible to be around Jesus and not be like Jesus, not be changed in our heart. So what do we understand? How come they were courageous? The only way to understand verse 13 is if you see verse 8. And if you look at verse 8, do you see what it says there? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Do you all remember Peter, how courageous he was when Jesus was still on earth? The night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter kind of tried to stay close to Jesus and warmed himself at a fire. But some people started asking him, hey, weren't you one of those guys who was with Jesus? In fact, a little servant girl said, excuse me, weren't you with Jesus? He goes, nope. I'd say that's not a lot of courage. But I've, I was in that situation. I might not have a lot of courage either. The point is, is that now Peter's courageous in front of the very people he was afraid of before. What's the difference? It's obviously not just being with Jesus physically. It's being with Jesus in a more intimate way than that. And if you're following along in the notes, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that as Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit, others take note. As Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit, others take note. Why is this important? Because friends, the Bible teaches us that when you and I trust Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit isn't just for Peter and John. It's for you and me and for all whom the Lord our God will call and who will trust in him. And so Alexander McLaren says something I find helpful. And this guy, again, he wrote over 100 years ago. So the language, just pay attention to what he says here. When they noted that Peter and John had been with Jesus, the religious rulers were partly right, and they were partly wrong. The source from which these men had drawn their boldness was their being with Christ, but it was not such companionship with Christ as the religious leaders had in view that had given them courage. For as long as these apostles had his personal presence with them, there was no perceptible transforming or elevating process going on in them. 
And it was not until after they had lost Jesus' bodily presence that there came upon them the change which even the prejudiced eyes of these judges could not help seeing. The writer of Acts gives a truer explanation with which we may fill out the incomplete explanation of the religious rulers when he says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Ah, that's it. They had been with Jesus all the days that he went in and out amongst them. They had companioned with him, and they had gained but little from it. But when he went away, and they were relegated to the same kind of companionship with him that you and I may have, then a change began to take place on them. And so the companionship that transforms is not what the apostle calls knowing Christ after the flesh, but inward communion with him, the companionship and familiarity which are as possible for us as for any Peter or John of them all, and without which Christianity is nothing but a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. They were with Jesus as each of us may be. Their communion was in no respect different from the communion that is open and indispensable to any real Christian. To be with him is possible for us all. When we go to our daily work, when we are compassed about by distracting and trivial cares, when the ordinary secularities of life seem to close in upon us, oh, it is hard, but it is possible for every one of us to carry with us into everything that blessed presence that is not to be put aside that sits beside me at my study table, that stands beside you at your task, that goes with you in the shop and the mall, that is always near. To be with Christ is possible for us all. How? How? If you're following along in the notes, with God's word and spirit, we can be with Jesus. With God's word, And with his spirit, we can be with Jesus. Now, Jesus was teaching. Remember, Peter, later this night, when Jesus said these words, I'm going to show you in a second. Later this night, Peter caved. But Jesus said, I'm going to send you someone that's going to help you be with me. And here's what he says in John 15, if you're following along there on the screen. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How? By the Holy Spirit. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. I will not, excuse me, because I live, you also, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and that you are in me and that I am in you. So one of the ways that you and I have the privilege to be with Jesus today is like what we're doing right now when we're gathering. We're opening his word and we have an opportunity to meet him in the pages of scripture as his Holy Spirit opens our eyes and illuminates these things. But also because these are trustworthy witnesses of what actually took place we can actually encounter him we can be around him we can be with him and because of his holy spirit working in us who's just like jesus same holy spirit that lives in jesus can now live in us then you and i can be with jesus look at second corinthians 3 if you would 17 and 18 it says now the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom and we all 
who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image, into his likeness, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Here's one more. The Living Bible puts it this way. I like how it says it, the same verse. You have that? And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more what, friends? Like him. God is so committed to this that he's given us his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit. But we have a part in it. And we, can, we have to ask ourselves, do we want to be with Jesus? Like they had an opportunity to be with Jesus. So here's where Luke's gospel comes in. Why Luke? Why Luke? Well, first of all, let me just make the connection between Acts and Luke if you're following along. Luke is the author of both Luke and Acts in the New Testament. How's that? Is that, is that a good enough reason? Luke is the author of both Luke and Acts in the New Testament. Now, I want you to see something. We're going to turn now to the beginning of Luke's gospel. So if you turn back, for those of you with the black Bibles, it's page 714. And for those of you with just regular Bibles, just turn back two books until you come to Luke 1, 1 through 4. Okay? When you get there, I want you to see, we're going to look at the first four verses today. And then next week, we're going to look at Jesus' life as a 12-year-old and then move forward through the Gospel of Luke. And probably at the end of next year, we'll come back to the birth narratives of Jesus that are at the beginning of Luke's gospel. But what I want you to see is that Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. And some of the ways we know it is that there's this big name of a person called Theophilus. It's really fun to say. Do you mind saying it with me? Theophilus. Theo means God. You know, Phyllis means lover of, friend of, Theophilus. Okay? Most people believe that he was probably a Roman official that had come to know Christ, trusted Christ, and he was a patron of Luke. And so Luke who we find out later is a doctor, he asked him to write a careful account so that he could know whether or not this stuff about Jesus was true and also how he could grow in his relationship with Jesus. So I'll read verses 1, 1 and 2, and then when we get to verses 3 and 4, I've listed it there in the gray box. I'll ask you to join me, and we'll read it out loud. Here we go. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly... Oh, there you go. I, I skipped right past where you guys are supposed to join me. I just got so eager. Here we go. Let's read it together. Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So here's what I want you to see in Acts 1, 1 and 2. Look at how this next, uh, the book we were just in, look at how it starts, similar to Luke. In my former book, what's the next name? All right. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. So he says, look, I wrote you in Luke, now I'm writing you in Acts, and I want you to know that these are things that I've carefully investigated, as he says in Luke, okay, Luke 1. So here's what I want you to see. Like us, if you're following along, Luke doesn't know Jesus till after he's risen and ascended into heaven. Like us, Luke doesn't know Jesus till after he's risen. So here's one of the reasons I love studying Luke is because Matthew, Mark, and John, 
we're Jewish. Most of us are not. Most of us are Gentiles, just like Luke was. Second reason I love it is also because Luke was the only one of the four Gospels that didn't get to actually be in Jesus' physical presence, but he still met Jesus. Therefore, some people would say, well, maybe that takes away from the credibility of what he says, but I want you to see that that's not true. In fact, most historians that have studied Luke's Gospel are blown away by the accuracy of his history but also the carefulness of it. In fact, if you're following along, notice this. He carefully investigates Jesus' words, works, and way. He carefully investigates his words, works, and way. Like, like give me an example, Jeff. Well, first of all, just the details in chapter 3 about John the Baptist alone. As far as who was the governor at the time, who was the emperor at the time, you know, all these different details. It is so very precise. It is so very careful that a lot of people have taken note. Most, again, most Greek scholars say that these first four verses in Luke are some of the best Greek written in the New Testament. This guy was sharp. Where does that come from? One of the reasons it's this way is because before Luke ever came to know Jesus, do you know what his profession was? He was a doctor. Look at Colossians 4.14. Here's one of the three places in the New Testament where Luke's name is outright listed. Let's read it together. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Paul's saying, look, one of my companions right now, I'm writing this letter to you in Colossians, I just want you to know Luke's with me. In fact, Luke got a chance to be with Paul most of his missionary journeys all the way to the end of his life. Most people believe that Luke came to know Jesus later, probably through the preaching of Paul, who had been with Jesus in an unusual resurrection appearance after Jesus ascended. He was the only apostle that met Jesus in person in an unmistakable way, in a physical presentation after Jesus had ascended. And so Paul had this huge influence on Luke. But it also shows us why Luke is careful and he's not just saying, hey, here's some things about Jesus and I'll just throw them out to you any old way. You can trust what I'm telling you because this has been double-checked, triple-checked. I had a chance when I traveled with Paul to meet Mary, Peter, John, James, the leaders of the church. I met people that were healed by Jesus all those years. When I spent two years in prison with Paul, I had time to write these things down, all that I accumulated. And so, friends, it's an incredible thing that he was. In fact, another thing that happened in the book of Acts, by the time you get to chapter 16, there are what's called these we passages, where it's describing not just the apostle Paul, but we did this. And most scholars say that is Luke's way of humbly, modestly saying, I was there too. We did this. And so, again, just an amazing thing about this. I love Luke. You know, somebody might say, well, what's so great about Luke? Let me just tell you several things that you'll love about Luke. Do you know where the parable of the Good Samaritan is found in all the Gospels? Luke. Do you know where the parable of the prodigal son is found in all the Gospels? Luke. Do you know where we read about some of the different details of people like Zacchaeus? Luke, and for a short guy like me, that inspires me. The point is, is that there's all kinds of nuggets in Luke's gospel, and what you're going to see is that he is a friend of sinner. Luke 19.10, he came to seek and to save what was lost, Jesus. And it shows all his encounters. We're going to look at those encounters, again, starting next week, Jesus when he was 12 years old. But let me move on. I said there that he carefully investigates Jesus' words, works, and way. Now I want to give you two pictures. You ready? 
Here's the two pictures. You may want to write this first one on your notes because we're going to refer to this uh, almost every week in the series, next five months. By the way, we're not going to go all the way through Luke this year. We're only probably going to get to chapter eight or nine, but that's how we're going to start the year. So if you can't see this, I don't know with the glare and things, some of you may not be able to see it, but I have a triangle here for those of you listening online, uh, a triangle here. And with the three words at the top, words, the word words, on the left corner, the word works, and the right corner, the word way. One of the things that we've been learning in some of the coaching as pastors is that when you study the life of Jesus, it's so easy just to pay attention to the words and the works of Jesus, which we're going to do. We're going to pay attention to that when we walk through Luke's gospel. But it is actually What's happened in so many people's lives is that they have never really spent time looking at the way of Jesus. And it was the way of Jesus that struck these religious leaders that were so skeptical. It's the way of Jesus that struck so many people that were skeptical. And it's the way of Jesus that will affect people in our culture today if they experience Jesus' way. See, look at John 7, 45 and 46. This is just one example. The religious leaders who I told you were antagonistic to Jesus in his earthly ministry had tried to arrest him a few times. Okay, here's one of them. So it says, finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does. The guards replied. There's something about the way. What do we mean by the way? The tone, the spirit, the posture, the presence, the approach. Jesus interacted with people so much differently than we do. What do I mean by that? He was full of grace and truth, like we learned a few years ago, John 1, 14. Full of grace and truth. He wasn't just full of grace and low on truth. He wasn't just full of truth and low on grace. He was full of both. So when people would spend time with him, they would go, there's something about Jesus that's just so hard to put my finger on. He's incredibly challenging, but he's incredibly inviting. He's incredibly relational, but he also calls me to responsibility. Wow, what is there? There's something about his way. And when you and I begin to become like Jesus, not only in his words and his works, but his way, people will take note that we have been with Jesus. And that's what we hope happens in this series. And so that's the first picture. You got it? The triangle? Words works way? Here's the second picture if you're following along. What I want you to notice is that Jesus' invitation is to get in the yoke with me and learn from me. To get in the yoke with me and learn from me. Have you ever seen a yoke? You know, I don't mean egg yoke. That's spelled Y-O-L-K. Yoke is spelled Y-O-K-E. You ever seen a yoke? When I was a pastor out in Iowa, I worked with farmers, and so sometimes they could take me to barns and show me old yokes. Fascinating. And here's a picture up here of a yoke, okay? Usually made of wood. It had a big crossbar like that, and they were carefully made to fit the shoulders of the ox carefully on each side. And then um, notice that there was something, a a bar there where they could actually pull forward. What did these yokes do? It yoked two animals together so that it multiplied their power. So they would pull together. So how did they do that? Well, here's, here's again two uh, uh, big, I don't know if those are oxen. 
In the last service, I got so messed up between ox and oxen. Oxen's plural, ox is, you know, not. Anyway, the point is, is there's, there's two ox or oxen. And as they're pulling together, what happened is they would train them this way. They would take a more seasoned, experienced ox. They would put it in one side of the yoke. Then they would take an inexperienced, you know, ox, and they would put that in the other side. And so often in those early days, the early, you know, the young ox would want to pull or kick or just go its own way. But as that young ox gave itself to pulling alongside of the more experienced, seasoned ox, they pulled together. And now they did life with each other. And as they did, it multiplied the power. And people could tell they'd been trained by a more experienced, seasoned ox who knew what life was about. And Jesus says this in Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. There's a different way about the way I teach you how to live. Be with me. This next thing I want you to see is the series sentence. Can we put that up on the screen? Here's the series sentence. Let's read it together. We want to be with Jesus so we can learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus, okay? In fact, let's read it one more time. We want to be with Jesus so we can learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. And that's the series sentence if you're following along. Be with Jesus so we can learn from Jesus to be like Jesus. And we're going to be with Jesus in Luke's gospel. But we hope that you're not just with Jesus on Sunday morning for an hour. We hope that you learn how to be with Jesus all the time. Pastor Lee talked to you last week about how to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly all week long. The more and more that we let the word of Christ begin to tip the scales in how we think and make decisions because we're more full of Jesus and his word. That's really what the goal is. Not to make sure we check it off every day, but to be with Jesus in the scripture. That's really the spirit of things. So, I want to just stop and and before we close and and ask you this question. Is it possible to come to church every Sunday or to be around Jesus regularly and not become like Jesus? Yes. Judas, many people, you've met people. Maybe you've been one of those people. I have. But the point is, is that when you and I are willing to surrender to him as the Lord of our lives, Then we are with him the way Peter and John were. See, that was the difference. Judas wouldn't let Jesus be the Lord of his life. So he was with him, but he wasn't with him. And many of us say, well, I'm with Jesus, but we won't let him be the Lord of our lives. We kick like that young ox and we fight. And he says, come on, let me be the Lord. Let me be the one who teaches you. And when that happens, everything changes. When I was in high school, I may have told you this story before, but I, I came to know Jesus. I met him. And I was learning how to be with Jesus. And it was a whole new adventure. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing most of the time. But I had come to know Jesus. And so each morning I would pray, Lord, I want to be with you at high school and at work today. Show me how to do that. Teach me how to do it so that I'm thinking and seeing it like you see it and do it with you do it. And uh, fill me with your scripture and everything like that. So I decided in those days, this was the 70s, I made a, a shirt that said King's Kid. I decided to wear it to school. Pretty radical, huh? And so I thought, if anybody asks me what that shirt means, I'm going to show them a place in 1 John 3, 1 and 2. They can read it for themselves. I'll just have my New Testament handy. I thought, you know, maybe no one's going to ask me. Well, 
There was a guy named Alan who sat next to me in, in fourth hour there in chemistry class, and he and I also worked at the same grocery store. And he would see me read my Bible sometimes on break time, and I never tried to go like this, you know, hey, I'm reading my Bible. I just would read my Bible quietly in the corner. But he would come over by me and go, what are you doing? Are you a Jesus freak or something? And he would just give me all kinds of stuff. And I'd just let it roll off my back because I knew he maybe he was having a bad day or kind of grumpy. But anyway, he was next to me in chemistry class, and so of all people, Alan goes, King's kid, what's that mean? I go, read it for yourself. And I thought he would immediately fold up and put it back in my desk. I, I turned to talk to someone else. Two minutes later, when the bell rang and our teacher said, put your books away and let's open up your chemistry books, I look over and Alan's still going like this. He closes it. He hands me back my New Testament. And as humbly as I can tell you, he says, can you get me one of these? I said, sure, I would love to. So I went and got one. I wrote as many scripture verses in the front that meant a lot to me, and I gave it to him. Months later, I didn't learn this story until months, years, maybe even a year later, I noticed a change in Alan. When I asked Alan about it, he said, as I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, somewhere in there, I met Jesus. And I turned my life over to him. And I'm learning how to be with Jesus, like you are. And I thought to myself, that's amazing. Friends, it can still happen today. But here's the closing question if you're following along. You know, here's the question I just want to ask you before you fill this out. Do you want to be with Jesus in 2016? Do you want to be with Jesus? And here's the prayer. Lord, what's keeping me from wanting to be with you? You know, it may be television. Maybe social media. It might be a relationship. It might be work. It might be money. It might be anything. It might even be a good thing. What's keeping me from wanting to be with you in everything? And we're going to use communion time to think about that. Let God just refresh our hearts and then renew our desire to be with him. So now we're going to use music and communion time together to commune with Jesus. So sing this song. I asked we could sing these couple songs today.